If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I think we started quite differently, right? If you, if you hear the story about how Tony started, we started with a problem and then we've focused on that problem. Then we've probably built a commercial framework about it, behind it. And a lot, what a lot of companies are now trying to do is find a purpose and thread that into their, you know, in, into their commercial model. So we, we, we are coming at it very differently. But ultimately, if you break it down, we're making delicious, great-looking taste. I think it's the best-tasting chocolate. You know, there's everything that we do, we try and limit our impact everywhere. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. A real pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this one. Where we kind of normally start is to dive in a little bit more about the person. So maybe start by telling me a little bit more about Ben. All right, Ben, I am, I'm 44 years old. I happen to start to think of myself now as like a middle-aged man, which I'm still getting to terms with. And I um, live in Weybridge, um, and I'm a, a big fan of Portsmouth Football Club, which is kind of where I grew up. And yeah, and then I, I probably think I, I have the, the best job in the world as well. So, uh, and my official title at Tony's, where I'm, I suppose, unofficially the MD, UK MD for Ireland, is, is to- uh, Lord Chocolonely the Third. Is it? So what a title. That's a little bit about me. So talking about um, Tony's, like, can you maybe kind of start a little bit more about like the journey that Tony's have been on? Because it's quite a, it's quite an interesting tale. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. And, and um, whenever I kind of talk to people about it and talk at events, which we do a lot of, because we're all about raising awareness of, of what we do and why we do, um, I, I call it the story of an unusual chocolate bar. So Tony's Chocolate Only... We were started back in 2005, so just, just, what, 16, 17 years ago now, in the Netherlands. So we're, we're a Dutch company off the back of a TV programme. So there were three Dutch journalists who were... They, my Dutch pronunciation is terrible. It's called Kering Dienst van Varda, and I do apologise to any Dutch people out there because the, my, my Dutch colleagues always laugh at my pronunciation, but I, I figure, like, give it a go, right? So it might not be the best pronunciation, but that basically means food unwrapped or food uncovered. And uh, these three Dutch journalists would, would look at food claims, brand claims, marketing claims. One of those journalists was, is called Turn, Turn van der Kerken. Uh, Turn, the international translation for Turn is Tony. And um, he was sitting at his kitchen table one Sunday, leafing through the papers, and he, Turn, came across on page eight there was, this, um, there was this article on cocoa farms and cocoa farming. 
and um, it basically said that there's just shy of two, two million, this is back then, there's just shy of two million children in those days working on cocoa farms illegally in West Africa, where most of the world's cocoa comes from. And there's also really high instances of, of, of modern-day slavery. And the root cause of all these problems was, is, is poverty, because the farmers aren't getting paid enough. And a couple of things struck turn, or from now on we're going to call him Tony, because it's easier. It's a couple of things struck, struck him. The, f- the first thing was, like, how can this be happening in today's age, right? And this is, this is going back now nearly two decades, but how can this be happening? And then also, why, why is this, if this is happening, why is this on page eight? Why is everyone not talking about this? The fact that you've got millions of kids working illegally on cocoa farms, making chocolate for us in the Western world to, to enjoy. So that struck him as, as, as really, really odd. And, and he wanted to do something about it. So he, they made a program on it. Think, take a step back. If you think of the cocoa industry, as a, it's kind of like an hourglass on its, on its side. On one hand, so on one side, you've got people like you and me, and you've got billions of consumers who love eating chocolate, don't really think about where it's coming from. And then on the other side, at the beginning of the value chain, you have most of the world's cocoa coming from two countries, Ghana and the Ivory Coast. So over 60% of the world's uh, cocoa comes from those two countries in West Africa. And then... And there you've got two and a half million farms, smallholder farms and family farms and plantations that were basically, all of the cocoa is grown. And those are typically farms that are maybe two or three football pitches, a couple of, couple of hectares. And then in the middle, and this is the pinch point, you've got a handful of big, or maybe two handfuls of big chocolate companies, the big brand owners that you kind of know, the Mondelez, Mars, Nestle, Hershey, Ferrero, Lint, and then uh, two or three big producers who uh, process and processors who process most of the cocoa, like Calabao, Cargill, and Olam. And basically, because the, the companies in the middle keep the price of cocoa as low as possible so they can make as much money as possible, it leads to massive structural problems. And the root cause of all the issues are basically that the, the, the small prices that the farmers get paid ultimately leads to poverty. And then those farmers have to then take their children out of school and use them on their farms. So there's now, to this day, still 1.6 million kids working illegally on cocoa farms in West Africa. So nothing's basically changed in those last, last 20 years. And so Turn and, uh, and his, his, his two journalist friends found this out, and they were like, wow, we, okay, that's, that's not cool. We want to do something about this. And four years prior to that, there was something called the Harkin-Engel Protocol, where two congressmen in the US, one called Harkin, Senator Harkin, Senator Engel, they rightly reasoned that, okay, if there's a handful of these big companies, then we can get them to do something about it because they control the, the flow of the cocoa, they control the pricing. And that's exactly what they did in 2001. They got, um, they got all the big chocolate companies around a table and they agreed to rid their value chains from all of the issues with slavery and child labour and signed an agreement back in 2001. But unfortunately, that was um, a non-binding agreement so you fast forward four, four, four years and, and Turn was there saying, OK, well, what's been done about it? We're, we're basically coming to the end of this agreement. There was a five-year t- timeline on it. I want to know what progress has been done. So he, Tony, phoned up all of the big uh, chocolate companies. He flew out to Lake Geneva to, to the kind of fancy headquarters at Nestle. And he said, you know, what progress are you making? What are you doing about it? Basically, long story short, no one would talk to him. 
And if they did, they were not taking responsibility. It's too complex, we can't do it. And it's kind of an issue that's just not going to go away. So for, for Tony, that wasn't enough. So he decided, actually, that if he was to make a stand and make a point, then he would effectively try and send himself to jail. So he filmed himself as part of the programme, eating a load of chocolate from the big chocolate companies. And he then phoned the police and said, look, I know that there's problems, and then I, I know where it's coming from, and therefore, by eating this chocolate from the big companies, I'm, I'm knowingly financing slavery and child labour, so you've got to come and arrest me. And this is on a programme, a film called The Chocolate Case, which was made back in 2016, uh, about the, the, the kind of where Tony started. But um, the, the police hung up on him because they're like, OK, yeah, nice one, prank caller. But he, he didn't stop there. He, he then took matters a stage further. So he hired a lawyer and he prosecuted himself for the same crime. And he flew out to West Africa and he found three former child slaves and he got them to testify against him. And one of them flew back into, into Amsterdam and, and basically stood up, testified against him, and the court case went on for two years. Off the back of the, the court case, Tony didn't go, he didn't go to jail. The judge said that morally you're, you're right and, and this shouldn't be happening, but I can't draw a link between the cocoa that you have, um, you have eaten and the cocoa that these boys have, have been forced to produce. And also, if I, if I make an example of you, it's going to set a terrible precedent for everyone else in, in the Netherlands. And they love chocolate almost as much as we do in the UK, but not quite as much. And so, off the back of it, Tony made a, a bright red bar in the total opposite wrapper that anything else was out there. All the chocolate in the, in the Netherlands at the time, the milk chocolate was kind of a, a blue, bluey purple. And um, he made that as a bit of a PR stunt to, uh, to kind of like raise awareness and try and demonstrate that chocolate could be made differently. Uh, and he called it Tony's Chocolate Only, and to that's important. Tony, because that's his name, or the international translation of turn, and Chocolate Only, because it's obviously chocolate, and then it's Tony at the time who was fighting the lonely battle to change the cocoa industry from within. Didn't really think much of it, but those bars sold out in, in hours, a few thousand bars, and actually at that stage, we took the decision that, look, if we're really serious about changing the chocolate industry, the best way isn't through... You know, but we're not a charity or an NGO. It's showing that a business can make delicious tasting chocolate using different sourcing principles that doesn't involve exploiting West African communities and ultimately act as an example for all those other big chocolate companies to, to raise their game. And that is what we've been doing now since uh, 2015. So 16, 17 years, um, and we've now grown to the, to the number one chocolate brand in the Netherlands, and uh, we ultimately want to show that there's a different way to make chocolate. And so we raise awareness of the issue, the stuff that I've just talked to you about. We lead by example through our five sourcing principles, which I can, I can touch on, because I'm going to give my voice a rest, because I realise I've, I've talked a lot. And then ultimately, we want to inspire other companies to, to act. And we want to inspire companies to act, but we want to inspire consumers to act. And ultimately, we want to give people a choice. We want them to be aware and once they know, they can't unknow. And then via Tony's and some other, uh, other ethical brands out there who do things in slightly different ways, we will change the chocolate industry for, for the better and ultimately move away from the fact that there, there shouldn't be 1.6 million kids working illegally on cocoa farms. And we say to those big chocolate companies, this is how we do it. 
copy our sourcing principles, copy our business model, because it can be done and we're proving it can be done. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, you're proving it like actually following a impact-led, missions-based, you know, goal focus that, you know, success doesn't have to be to the detriment of profit because like I saw recently that you went over the 100 million revenue mark for the first time and I see you recently acquired like new places in Belgium, for example, and um, you're building something in Amsterdam. You seem to be going from strength to strength, but... You know, we, we did talk about like slavery and the issues that are very apparent within the industry. It's important to kind of look into these challenges in a little bit more detail because I remember reading on your website that the chocolate industry has a child labor rate of 46.5%. And um, looking at recent articles, for example, in the Times, they reported back in 2021 that 1,701 children were working within Tony's supply chain. Now, this is an important thing because I guess like what you're doing versus what others aren't is like you're leaning into the challenge and you're, you know, you're identifying it. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing we, you know, you have to do is admit there's a problem because, you know, if generally, if you are sourcing cocoa in West Africa, if you, as you rightly say, one, one in two households in cocoa-grown cocoa communities will have an instance of, of, of child labour on, on, on the farm. So the first thing to, to, to do is, it, is admit that it's there, because it, it is there. We publish absolutely everything we do in our annual fair report. So this gets published around about November, December each year. The Times article you referenced actually was, was from February this year, so about three months after we published this. And it's not a surprise to us. One of our five sourcing principles is we have a fully traceable supply chain because only if you are taking responsibility for the where your cocoa is coming from can you look to find problems and actively remediate them so that's the the first thing it's not hiding behind some opaque opaque supply chain and and a big faceless pile of beans you actually have to have to take ownership and accountability so we have a, a fully traceable supply chain and that enables us to visit all the farms and all the farming communities and actively look for problems and encourage people to report them because if people are scared to report them they're just going to go underground and you know they can be remediated and they can be solved and they can be solved in the right way. A lot of it will come down to, I don't know, people not having, for example, birth certificates. And so we will act and give them birth certificates or give them access to get to school so they would give them bicycles through our, through our foundation. But that, the first thing is to admit that there's a problem there. Last year, we found just about just 374 cases. Uh, this year, as we've grown, we've onboarded two new co-ops and... On the cooperatives that we've been working with for a period of time, the prevalence rate for child labour, because we actively find it and remediate it, is 3.9%. On the new co-ops that we onboarded, the two new co-ops, that it runs at about 50%, which is the, the average within the industry. And so that's where that additional 1,400 cases came from. Two new co-ops, 1,400 cases. Ultimately, over the time, we work with those co-ops, we bring it down, we educate them, we help, we train them. And that is how you will, you will solve the issue. But um, to us, it's not a surprise. We publish this every year. I suppose the, the interesting thing is that, you know, it, it, it makes the headlines because I think um, a paper will pick up on it and talk about it. But for us, it, it, you know, we publish everything that we do. I think we, we account for about 0.4% of all of the cocoa that comes from West Africa. So... That's great. If we can take responsibility for it, then everyone can. But we need, we need that other kind of 90, 99% 
to start um, facing into their responsibilities and admitting there are problems and actively doing something about it. But um, yeah, the, you know, we, we're very open about this and we publish everything because honestly, if you don't do that and you're, if you're not transparent and you're not looking for the problem and you're denying it's there, then you're kidding yourself. Yeah, I think one of the key challenges as well within the industry is, is actually looking at the root causes. And when I talk about like root causes, you mentioned the issues in respect to like labour and leading to, you know, farmers are often forced to like have their children working on their plant on their plantations because they don't have sufficient funds to pay the labor fee i think one of the things that interested me the most when i dived into the work that you do and what others do is is that of farm gate price and how that is set per ton and the impact that that has and how you as a brand have taken it further than simply like Farmgate and fair trade and you've actually gone towards attorney premium but i guess we've like to a lot of people listening to this, this is just terminology. So it's probably easier to break that down to allow people to understand the true challenge that you face and why you're doing the work around Turner's Premium. Yeah. I mean, you've got to go back, as you rightly touched on, the root cause of all the problems. And no matter what any of the big companies will say, they will say it's not, it's not about price. We know the root cause of the issues on cocoa farms in West Africa and child labour and slavery, the root cause is poverty. And so for us... And everyone else, the price is the key fertilizer. And, and we work backwards from enabling the farmers that we work with to earn a living income. So they get fluctuations in the market, but the, the, th- the thing is, the farmer has to earn a certain amount per kilo of, of, of cocoa or per tonne of cocoa, depending on, on the size of their farms. And that's really important. So the, the, the root cause of, of all the issues is, is, is poverty. So it starts with a price. And so one of our five sourcing principles, we have the fully traceable supply chain. One of the other ones that are really important is, is, is a fair price for, for the cocoa. So you have, I mean, if you take the Ivory Coast, for example, you have the farm gate price, and then the farm gate price is the price that's set by the government, and that changes every year. And that broadly in Ivory Coast is about um, $1,000 for a tonne of cocoa. On top of that, what we do, if you look on the back of a bar of Tony's, um, you'll see the fair trade logo. And for us, um, fair trade is a good start. It doesn't go far enough. The, one of the good things about fair trade is it guarantees a premium. And I, I, I touch about, I can talk a little bit more about premiums and mass balance. And but all, all of the fair trade cocoa traded is, is effectively it comes from a big pile. It's mass balance. And, and for us, we want to go further, which is why we have the traceable element. But we, we then pay the fair trade premium because we think it's great. They only work with co-ops. It empowers the farmers. They get the money. They get $240 a ton on top of the, the farm gate price of $1,000. And they, they're free to do what they want with it. There's no, it guarantees a premium and they can do whatever they want with it, which is why we like fair trade. But then we go further. So we pay about a further $380 a ton on top of that. And that is the Tony's premium. And that premium goes direct to the farmers that we work with. It goes direct to the co-ops. And again, you know, we're not telling them what to do with the money. They can invest that in the community. We would, we'd love to see a larger percentage of it. About 60% of it goes direct to the farmers. Probably about 40% at the moment is going to, 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 the, to the wider communities. Um, that's effectively what we do. If you look at our, our P&L and all our details and our balance sheet, all of our numbers are in here. It means that typically about... I think it's about 7% of our annual revenue, net revenue, is going back into premiums and what we would call impact premiums in West Africa. Uh, So last year, 
I mean, it's well over eight million. So it's um, it's, it's the size of an amount. But actually, if you if you break it down, it's it's not a massive amount. It's a choice, right? We just we just cut our P and L slightly differently, and. Um, you know, if, if we can do it, we don't have the most efficient supply chain. We don't probably get the clout that all of the big, the big guys do, but we're shown it can be done. But ultimately, it does start with, with, with a fair price. So you have the farm gate price, which is $1,000 a ton. And then you have the premium on top of that, which is uh, the fair trade premium. And then on top of that, we, we pay the additional Tony's premium. Yeah, and, and if you look at widely why a lot of poverty, like at the moment, you, you read things like Oxfam's inequality kills report, or you look at the case, even in the UK, with, with respect to the um, increase in poverty, like the crux to a lot of the challenge behind poverty is paying people a real living wage. So when you look at the, the work that you've done in around the Ivory Coast, it's building up towards a real living wage and if you're able to pay people a real living wage they're able to like like support themselves support their livelihoods support the the work that they do and you know you you see a reduction in poverty as a whole I, I think what you are doing is is admirable and I think you know hopefully you're showing others within the industry that it you know it doesn't have to be a set way yeah and look we're not you know we do say for us profit isn't you know is is never a goal it's a means to achieving a goal even the chocolate that we make isn't a goal it's kind of just a vehicle to spread the word what we do isn't crazy we just think we're paying a fair price and that isn't actually a massive amount to pay a fair price for the cocoa you know that we're, we're sourcing but um i think we started quite differently right if you if you hear the story about how tony started we started with a problem and then we've focused on that problem then we've probably built a commercial framework about it behind it and a lot what a lot of companies are now trying to do is find a purpose and thread that into their you know in, into their commercial model so we, we we are coming at it very differently but ultimately if you break it down we're making delicious great looking taste i think it's the best tasting chocolate you know there's Everything that we do, we try and limit our impact everywhere. So we're by no means perfect, but there's no palm oil, there's no plastic. You know, our sugar's fair trade. We offset all of our carbon emissions. We'd love to go further. Um, we only use natural ingredients. We give 1% of our revenue goes to, to foundation on top of the foundation as well, which is um, it's like a charity, a separate, separate part. But, I mean, ultimately, we're, we're, we're doing it. And so we think other people can do it as well. The power sits with the consumers, the power sits with shareholders, but the people we need to get to change are the, the big chocolate companies who, have, who are making billions, sadly, at the expense of um, people less fortunate at the beginning of the value chain. Yeah, exactly. And I think if, if you start looking at inequality in humanity and injustice, it kind of leads us on a little bit more towards what your campaigns and the rapper campaign you did in the early part of this year. Yeah, we've done. We don't spend a massive amount on marketing, and we typically have had a no paid media policy because we can't. Re and we always go through this internally in our business: is this right? Is this wrong? And it's it's like this big circular conversation happens every year. But we, you know, we've got to the number one market share position in the Netherlands with on the back of a great product and the story, and people actually feeling compelled to once they know to, 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 to make a change. And I think but fundamentally, that is a great tasting bar of chocolate. And that's why you bar a buy a bar of chocolate. But in a world where we have a no paid media policy, and we're trying to compete with the big chocolate companies, we, we have to kind of do things slightly, 
antagonistic and we one of our values is outspoken so a few of our campaigns one of the i mean the i think the the campaign that i like the most that we did was two years ago now which was our sweet solutions campaign and we are always told by the big chocolate companies that they can't do what we do because it's it's you know we're small and we're not buying much cocoa and it's it's complicated and and all of that stuff and that's why we have to scale because we have to show that what we're doing is replicable that's why we use Barry Calabao who all of the big chocolate companies use and there are problems and limitations with that but Barry Calabao one of the big processors and of 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 cocoa and so they do have problems but we have a fully separated supply chain in there and we have to use them because the other guys use them and we want to show that what we do can be scaled. We decided about two years ago that what we'd do is if, if those big companies couldn't, couldn't make chocolate the way we wanted them to, we'd make their chocolate our way. So we, <laughs> we I wish I had the wrappers here, but um, maybe we'll find the visuals. It's called our Sweet Solutions campaign and we, we effectively ran quite close to the wind. We, we said, well, if you can't do it, we'll do it for you. So we made a um, well-known, what looked like a let's say, Twix bar, a Kit Kat bar, a Ferrero bar, and a Toblerone bar. They look very similar, but they were, they were very much Tony's, and the flavours underneath it were, were the same flavours, or very similar, but using our, our chocolate and our sourcing principles. And we even, we even made the bars look a little bit uh, like a nod to, 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 to the, uh, kind of their bars as well. And we launched those, um, and we launched those, and we said, well, look, we'll do it for you. And so we, 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 we showed, and it caused quite a stir. And actually, in the UK, they got taken off shelves. I won't name the retailer that we launched with, but it was great that we got their support. But after a day, I think they had so much heat from, from the big chocolate companies that um, we sadly took them off sale. But it was great coverage for the brand, right? And it was, it was one of those things that you look at and you're like, Christ, is this, is, is this a sensible thing to do? But ultimately... You've got to do things differently because otherwise we, we fail to get noticed and we don't get the word out there. So we, we do sail a little bit close to the wind, but I think I was, that, that was a fantastic campaign that I think everyone at Tony's is just really proud of. And it, it's nice that you can come to work and you can be a bit risque and take those risks and do things that other companies won't do because you've got that mission central to everything you do and that probably makes you do crazy stuff but it also keeps you pretty grounded and, and focused yeah that's that's the thing about like movements and in my in my eyes and my experience it's always if you're able to create movements that are built behind a cause then you can really galvanize momentum behind people both inside the company and externally to your customer base because they align to these like disruptor brands because like if you look at what's taking place at the moment like people don't buy what you don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So it's ultimately people want to see and align themselves more with brands that they believe in and trust rather than kind of have a continuation of the status quo. And I think only by doing things differently can you see change within the sector that you're within. And, you know, you do mention the challenges that you, you've had historically, like with Barry, Barry Calabal. If you look at what uh, you know, they, they do. They work with all the big, big companies, and they have their own problems internally. But uh, when you do go to scale, it's 
I think what, one of the things that you'll get is you'll probably get a lot of heat with respect to, um, oh, well, why are you working with these guys? But you can't subsequently go to scale without working with them. And subsequently to that, you can't also change those companies and change their practices without starting the conversation and without starting like real legitimate work. So I think a lot of it comes down to the partnerships that you build and the collaboration that you can create from a good place of authenticity. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So talking of collaborations, I'm really intrigued to some of the work that you've done with like BrewDog, for example, or Body Shop. Yeah, we, we I mean, we, we look for company, like-minded companies that kind of share our values that we feel ultimately can help us get the message out there and by using different means and different partnerships and and what have you so we're always on the lookout for like-minded companies I think there's there's definitely one where we we have to be really careful because obviously we're gonna we put ourselves out there as a company that's trying to do the right thing so we will only try and associate with companies that are also trying to do the right thing and go much further in their fields as well and and hopefully pioneers now we haven't always got it right i think when we when we did the the brew dog collaboration and, and look this was great right we it was this bar actually this white raspberry and popping candy which is this is this, this is our only white bar in the uk but people go mad for it it's got like a really uh, kind of intense flavour, but um, people that love it just really love it. And so Brewdog were like, yeah, we would love to do brew a brew a beer, and and they gave a percentage of all the profits of the sale to 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 our foundation, our charity. So for us, that was a bit of a no-brainer. But um, you know, 
about three weeks after that launched, there was the massive scandal about working practices in BrewDog. And so we were like, shit, oh God, we couldn't have seen it coming. And it was just, it was just, it seemed, it was the perfect collaboration. And it's a great product. So they launched, they launched a white chocolate raspberry popping candy flavored IPA. And it's really nice. It's, I mean, it's quite sweet. It's quite intense. But that was a really good collaboration that's got, it's brought Tony's to more people. But again, you know, rightly so, we couldn't have seen that coming, but obviously we get a bit of flack off the back of that, which we totally, totally take. Yeah, we, we're always looking for those partnerships where we can do things differently. And then every year we have our fair. Well, it's un, we call it, it's like fun fair, but we call it an unfair. And um, we, we have that in Amsterdam. And a couple of years ago, before COVID, we had 5,000 consumers who paid to come and, and listen to us talk about what we do and also we bring the, the best farmers over we celebrate the farmers and we talk we talk we launch our fair report we talk about the good stuff we talk about the bad stuff the stuff we need to do more of during the day and then we we have a few beers in the evening and um it's nice i think when you go over to the netherlands and you see you, you can't avoid tony's it's everywhere i think we've got like 98 percent percent coverage and we've got I don't know, five of the best 10 selling chocolate bars but that's what that's what we need to replicate everywhere because then if we can do that in in my market in the UK and Ireland in my counterpart Nikki's market in Germany and Austria and Switzerland and then Dusan in the US if we can do it in those big markets then we've covered off a big big part of the cocoa buying population and it's also the home of all of the big chocolate companies so that's why that's why we need to replicate that kind of hype and experience so that hopefully, Peter, in five years' time when you're walking around doing your shopping, you're like, Tony's is, a, is, is everywhere. And then, you know, and then you know that hopefully we've, we've changed things and we've put those, we've got more cocoa going back that's fairly traded. But also we've started those conversations with those big chocolate companies to adopt our five sourcing principles and ultimately... You know, do all those things that they need to be doing to to take more responsibility for for, for the cocoa that they're buying. Yeah, I think it's um it's about the story, right? So when you start with what what you guys do and trying to be 100% slave free, I think my wife was the person that introduced me to your brand, and then I dug into a little bit more. She's, she's a lady with good she taste. She is a lady with good taste. <laughs> so I, I dug into it a little bit more, and yeah, like I was really encouraged by the story. So that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. But I think if you kind of look about trying to do things differently i think one of the things that people have to understand about brands and companies trying to do things totally different to the norm is don't strive towards perfection like you are going to get things wrong but the important part of any change is holding your hands up when you get things right and also when you get things wrong so that that brew dog partnership you know like take it with a pinch of salt like at the end of the day you were trying things from the, from a good place and it didn't work but the, what what is real about that is the fact that there's more transparency on your brand there's more transparency on brew dog in respect to the work that they have to do and transparency is key to the entirety of your process so if you look at like the juggernauts within like chocolate over time they'll look to what you're doing they'll see that you've made like you know you've broken the the hundred million like revenue barrier and they'll they'll realize that actually over time impact 
is the very essence of purpose and like profit doesn't in itself doesn't have to be impacted by the purpose of your organization it, it's symbiotic it can come together and i think when we're able to look more towards these like larger goals these really problematic things that we we're truly we- well aware of such as poverty there are ways to alleviate poverty but it starts with the root cause and it starts with 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 change and, and the ability to galvanize movements for both inside an organization and out towards a common cause because when you do that people become engaged with your brand they're willing to accept that you may not get things right every single time but they're they're more likely to align with with your purpose and your beliefs and your goals yeah i think that's a, is a really really good point i think we we're not perfect our, you know we've worked on our business model over the last 17 years now and we we do open ourselves up and we invite criticism. And I, I, find, I find this hard coming into the business like four years ago because I think, you know, you, sometimes you're like, you get quite defensive because you're like, well, hang on a minute, what, can't, can't you see all this? But everyone's got a different opinion on things. And we've just got to have strength of conviction that we're doing the right stuff. But also if we, you know, if someone points something out to us, you know, we're not wedded to it, we will adapt on it. If we think that is going to help us get to our mission further and, you know, make all chocolate worldwide free of slavery and child labor, then we'd be, we'd be crazy to. But um, yeah, we're, we're certainly not perfect by any means, but we feel that actually, you know, we, we have to push boundaries, we have to do things differently to, to get people to sit up and take notice. But 89% of people who buy, who like and buy Choc Tonys buy it because taste delicious or they like the packaging. Only 11% are buying us because of the mission. And sometimes you, you're like, oh God, that, you know, that, that I would lo- maybe you'd love it to be a bit, you know, a bit more or get more people in solely for the mission. But at the end of the day, right, it doesn't matter. People buy chocolate because they love it and it tastes great. So however we bring them in, whatever they see, if they then find out about the mission because they, they open a bar of chocolate and they read the wrapper and then they, they wonder why that bar is unequally divided and the bar is unequally divided because it tells the story of the unequal nature of the cocoa industry. So that's why we make our bar all different shapes and sizes. And it annoys the hell out of people. And if you go on Ocado, we are, I think, the only chocolate bar on there with five-star reviews. But still, it breaks my heart when people go, I love it, it's delicious. I love, there's no plastic, there's no palm oil, but why are they making the bar this crazy shape? I can't share it with anyone. <laughs> and so we've had to put it on some of our wrappers in the UK. To be, uh, Yeah, this one, here's a good example. So this one, why is our bar unequally divided? The bar is unequally divided because the cocoa industry is unequally divided. So as long as the cocoa industry is unequal, we will continue to make our bars that yeah. way. So, and I, yeah. I remember you doing that with like the advent calendar, right? And and the, the purpose behind that was, was, was legitimate. You, you had like, that was the reason why you wanted to create an advert calendar. But then when people go and, was it like door eight or whatever? When people go and open door eight, eight, there's no chocolate inside. And the little kid's just like, oh, where's my chocolate? But the the purpose behind what you're trying to achieve, like this is a whole thing about um, you're not going to get it right every time. And, and you shouldn't be expected to get it right every time. And But the key to like change, any lasting change, is to reflect and learn along the journey and learn what and take take on board the criticism take on board positive aspects but ultimately go and try and grow and develop an industry that's going to be for the betterment of everybody yeah that's i you know i totally forgot about the <laughs> countdown calendar that was um we took the chocolate out of day eight 
The day later, there were two <laughs> chocolates. And then actually, in day 24, there were two chocolates. So net, anyone buying the calendar was, was winning versus what, what we said on the packaging. And the whole, the whole the ethos, the thinking was, you know, it, again, it's you know, unequal. The chocolate industry is unequal. There's not a chocolate there. But then there were two later. But I, look, we, it, it was, we, could have, we could definitely have done more to probably signpost what we'd done because people thought... This is an outrage. This is an outrage. And then when they found out we did it delivery, there was um, it particularly got to. I think the Daily Mail picked up on it, <laughs> uh, and it got it made the BBC News. It got on. Have I got news for you? But look, in terms of mission awareness and issue awareness, it was great. We, I, I could have, you could spend five million pounds on on a TV campaign yeah. to to do that and. Yeah, but we, we will take the learnings from that and maybe we'll maybe we bring it back next year and maybe we'll put it, um, put it we'll, at number we'll twenty four. That'll, that'll be like ultimate uproar. <laughs> but that's there'll be meltdown. But, but that's the thing, like it's um the fact as you said, like it was probably like a small campaign to run, but the fact that you had so much publicity off the back of it and I, I'd imagine in your response to the criticism, you were able to say, well, actually, these are the reasons why. And then people that are listening to that that maybe have not heard of your brand before, like that then subsequently triggers uh, alignment in their eyes that go, well, actually, no, I believe in that and now I'm going to start buying Tony's. So, yeah, like not everything that people look at as a mistake is actually a mistake. Yeah, we 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 had. I mean, literally the the, the day day eight, eight Mageddon, day nine. We we had so many phone calls. I think fifteen hundred phone calls. So fifteen hundred emails on it. And the team, our Choco Fancare team in in the UK, were were kept very very busy. But ninety five percent of the people that they spoke to went away after they were outraged when they got in contact. Ninety five percent of the people went away as stronger advocates after we've explained why we did what we did they got it in balance it was it was it was, it was a great thing and, and i don't know how many businesses could could do that but um yeah create creates a bit of work but it serves a purpose exactly right? it's a it's a bittersweet story and yeah talking of bitter it's it's maybe a good idea to actually bring back into focus the the book that you guys have written because i think um when you're kind of looking into that then okay it's, it's amazing that we see these these cool brands trying to do different different things to others and the taste is yeah it, that's the main part of what sells your product but actually when you read more into the book and the people's stories i think that's important as well i mean the the truth of it is there's you know chocolate is a delicious sweet tasting product but at the beginning of the value chain there's a very bitter story and so I think about four years ago now we, we launched a book called Bitter which are the stories of children who were former uh, child slaves or kept in effectively modern, modern day slavery on cocoa farms and it's, it's basically their story and what happened and also you know what they're up to now we did an exhibition in Amsterdam and also in Germany, and um, and yeah, there was half a million visitors, and it just enables us to to, to talk about um, yeah the stories and why again why we why we do what we do. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think we kind of touched upon it earlier, but like impact in my eyes is a very essence of purpose, and and profit doesn't have to be impacted by progress, and the progress that you're making around individuals is is the crux to your story, right? So 
yeah, we're, we're very early in your journey. And I'd imagine if we spoke again in five years' time, there'd be an awful lot of positive progress that's taken place. You'll probably get a little bit of flack here and there, but like, it doesn't really matter because ultimately what you're trying to do is 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 really important. And um, it's going to, if you can uplift a lot of people out of poverty and allow them to kind of have support their, their lives, their livelihoods, their families, create value within the total value chain if you're able to change an industry that's quite archaic in respect to its practices then all for all the value to you so um yeah i'm really encouraged by what you guys are trying to achieve and i'm I'm keen to see where you are in in a couple of years time oh me too man i mean there's, there's so much there is so much money in chocolate and the chocolate industry if you if you just go on and Google and you look at Mondelez, you know, who own Cadbury's and Green and Blacks, and then you go on and look at Hershey, you will see they, they are the companies that have some of the highest operating margins in, in the world. You're talking high teens, low 20s. And so, I, you know, we, we estimate the cocoa market, the worldwide chocolate market is worth over $100 billion. And it would take probably about 1% of that to enable all the farmers to earn a living income. So there is more than enough money there. It's about choices. Uh, and we want, we want those companies to start making, making the right choice and, uh, yeah, actively stop exploiting. But it is, it, a lot of it is about awareness, and they will continue to get away with what they can get away with, no matter what they say. And, you know, this, is, this isn't me being pious or, or kind of preachy. It's fact. 20 years ago... They promised that they would eradicate slavery and child labor from their cocoa chains. 20 years later, the numbers are exactly the same. So they are just kicking the can down the road. And um, yeah, I'd urge, urge everyone to start looking into, you know, all of your listeners to look into, which I know they will, you know, what they're, what they're buying and, 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 and be curious on value chains and, 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 and sourcing and the history of the products. But don't just take the company's answer for it. You know, be curious and, and, and challenge and push because... Um, that's what it's going to take. And, you know, there was a recent dispatches program about six weeks ago in the UK on that very issue of child labour in, in Cabri's value chain. I guess the only reason why companies aren't changing is because not enough of their consumers are forcing change upon them. So the, the key part of any change is is accountability. You can be transparent to what, you, what you're doing in, in your company, and I think that that transparency is key, but ultimately from a consumer's perspective, it's equally important that we hold our companies, our leaders, accountable for their actions, because that is how ultimately change can be delivered. So there's an awful lot we can do, but accountability and transparency are key one thing I, I, i'm trying to do now going forward is is loop into our next guest so and also our audience as well by way of a recommendation so i'm a massive reader so if there's a book that you would recommend people read that you would encourage people go to or if there's a, a film to watch or if is there's a question you specifically want to ask our future guest now is the time i would say that there's couple of things to watch the first is a series on netflix called rotten it's really interesting it delves into supply chains of common problems and um series two episode five is all about cocoa it even features tony's in there and that, that's that's an independent um documentary it's really interesting as well they go into the issues with avocados as well and, and so like all of that i think 
it's fascinating and will be really interesting to to your listeners. And then there's if people can f- seek it out and want to learn more. There's, and this is me being totally self-indulgent because this is just about Tony's and that is, um, it's called The Chocolate Case. It used to be on Amazon, but it's come off, but it's called The Chocolate Case and it's all about the story of, again, Tony's and some of the, the challenges we faced, how we've got around them or not, as the case may be. So um, two things, Rotten on Netflix and then The Chocolate Case, if you can find it. I like to finish with like a, a, a closing thought, a lasting message that you'd like to leave with them. On the basis of what we discussed and what you're trying to achieve, what would you like to tell our audience? That I think, hope you know, people have listened to this. And so once, you know, my, my job, my team's job is to raise awareness of these problems. And, and once you know, you can't unknow. And ultimately, you know, we need, we need people to share that story. And, and I would love listeners to to share that story and you know and and ultimately spread the word people have a choice and every day we we make choices when we're at the fixture and all of those choices effectively evoke for the for the type of world we want to live in so help us to change the industry and then help us to challenge us help us to help us to raise our game as well we can't do it alone exactly thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.